Bam. We're live. Oh my God, no echo. Makes me so happy. Makes me so happy. Hair game's looking tight. What's up? Thank you. I know. I'm I'm living the full fighter lifestyle. Oh, is that is that uh I gotta get punched in the face and my hair can't get in the way, but I don't wanna shave yeah, my ball. These are boxer braids. They're awesome. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Is it fun being you? It really is. I have I have a blast. Um, when when did it become? Guest is on time. Guest is on time. Yes, Bruce. Guest is on time. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. I've, I'm 169 shows in. I'm racing to 500. I'm gonna do 500 and then and then reevaluate. And uh, like two or three times, I've had a no show of a guest, which has forced me to do a show by myself. But but now. The, the kind of OCD I have, you only need a guest to show up not once and, and the paranoia is real. You know, the anxieties. Wait, so 500 is the goal and then after that? Reassess. Like if it's basically, if it's not, if I'm not having fun, 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 like just like, and it's not making me money, 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 then I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. Fair. Like Fair. Um, I, I want to spend time with my kids. And um, it, it's really way out of my my comfort zone. What do you do besides this? To play with my kids. <laughs> Put on Steffi Cohen videos and be like, yo, check it. Look at this chick boxing. Dude, look at her deadlift. Dude, look at that. A sumo deadlift. What is that? Oh, can we go in the garage and try it? Sure. All right. Hurry up. We got to go to tennis lessons. Sounds like you have a fun life. I do. Um, was your life always fun? Nah. Um you know, I've I come from Venezuela. Was born and raised in Venezuela. Um, from a modest family, I moved to the states pretty much forced by my mom. That wasn't fun. She packed my bag for me, a massive like one of those big hockey bags. She packed for me, and she sent me on an airplane at the age of seventeen to San Diego initially. Uh, and you know, I had big dreams. I wanted to do big things with my life, uh, but they were pretty unconventional. You know, the standards of living that I wanted to have were like, I want to be able to have freedom of time and place. I want to be my own boss and I want to make lots of money and I want to be involved in sports somehow. I don't want to have a desk job. I don't want to be behind, be behind a desk job and be, you know, forced to abide by arbitrary rules of corporate America. I didn't want to do that. And it sounded like I was pretty crazy. You know, my mom, my mom thought that I was out of my mind and that it, there was no way that I was going to be able to live that type of lifestyle that I wanted to live under those kind of standards or parameters that I was setting. Um, and so I kind of had to create myself and, and, and really be creative and, and make it happen for myself. So, you know, the last, and I still grind, like, even though we're doing pretty well, I still you know, I'm in a rat race all day long. Every, every single wake hour that I have is accounted for. Um, and I work really hard for what I have. That's all you know how to do. Yeah. Grind. Yeah. Uh, so you say you say it was a modest um, upbringing in Venezuela, but in Venezuelan terms, you were balling, right? I mean, no, no, really modest. Oh. Yeah, modest. Um, you're, you're a Jew? I am. Your, pam your family escaped Nazi Germany? Is that how you end up in Venezuela? Yeah, my grandparents did. So they actually, they were born in Romania and they walked all the way from Romania to Israel. It took them like two months, like boat, train, car, walk, horse, donkey, whatever it was. 
Yeah. That's how they made it to Israel. And then in Israel, they got it. My, my grandmother was a teacher and she got a phone call from somebody here in somebody there in Venezuela saying that they needed a Hebrew teacher and a director, like a principal. And so she moved to Venezuela and helped fund the first Jewish school in Venezuela. Do you know what year that was? No idea. No idea. Listen, people, five years before Hitler started fucking slaughtering Jews, there were fucking more Nobel Prize winning scientists Jews coming out of Germany than any any type of science explosion anywhere, any time in the history of the world. Those people were fucking on top of their game, killing it, contributing to society in a way, you know, E equals MC squared shit, photosynthesis, <laughs> Otto Warburg. Metabolic disease. I mean, I mean, like Otto Warburg's dad was a physicist. I mean, and in five years, bam, they're rounding these fuckers up and killing them. What's crazy is just the resilience that that the Jewish people had as a as a whole, as a society, and how how they were able to bounce back from that, you know, and make lives of of themselves. Even, you know, look at my grandparents. I mean, fuck, they just moved to Venezuela, packed up a, a plastic bag, probably, you know, and. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> and just started their life over there and in same same way for a lot of people they're their same age and people that actually went to the holocaust like they had so we are kind of like the last generation that got to interact with with people who went to the holocaust you know it's our grandparents that are mostly all either dead or dying and we used to have like Every month we used to have a Holocaust survivor or somebody who lived in that time period period come when senior year of high school come over to school and give us a talk about their experience. And the most memorable one for me was this woman. She was a grandma of one of my closest friends in high school. And she was had to have been like twelve or thirteen when she was in the in the concentration camp. And they played a game with her and a bunch of the other kids that lived in her villa or in her house and they pretty much put them in the snow barefoot and told them to they basically said whoever sits down because you're tired or whatever because you're uncomfortable if you sit down on the ground you get shot and everybody else sat down got shot and she she stood and to punish her they cut every single one of her toes and then she moved to venezuela and you know is this made a killing built her empire and was super successful but it's interesting uh, it's one of the stories I can't empathize with, and I'm and I'm the great empathizer. I can't, I can't. Of course, yeah. It's it. It's so difficult to conceptualize that that type of suffering. It's nothing that none of us are ever going to experience. Not not even similar. You know. It's crazy. Uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Steffi Cohen. It's crazy how much Steffi Cohen videos I watched in the last few days. I was tripping that you were friends with Noah. That was crazy. It's such a small world. We went but anyway, sorry. We went to school together, Noah and I. Yeah, it's nuts. I can't wait to hear about well, the, the first time you guys met and what that was about. Uh, um, Steffi Cohen is is not just um, some Jewish chick from Venezuela. She is a major contributor to the betterment of human beings 
on the planet. She lets people realize that they can do anything that they dream of, that they're really stronger than that they really are. She is the, um, uh, um, you know, history will tell, but she's a, a modern day, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the guy who broke the four minute mile. She's a modern day Roger Bannister. Um, she's the, uh, you know, there's the guy, the Fosbury flop guy. I mean, she did, she's done some really cool, fun things um, with her life. And then, and then, and now is, I, I don't know, how old are you? I'm 29. She's 29. I don't want to say she's getting old, but now she's getting older. She's reflecting on it and she's letting her more vulnerable side come out. She's talking about injuries. She's talking about exploring just uh, what it means to be in the public eye, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a human. She's just now, now we're, and then she's also like, okay, I'll try another sport too. parlayed all of this uh, hard work into, into some other stuff. Um, did your, are you, are your parents here now? My parents are separated or divorced. My mom lives in Chicago. My dad is in Venezuela. Okay. Do you ever go back to Venezuela? Last time I was there was in 2018. Oh, shit. Yeah. But apparently things have changed so much since 2018. When I was there, it was, it started resembling a lot uh, like Cuba. Everybody kind of like wearing really old suits from the 80s. All the cars are broken down and super, super old um, the currency is worth, well, it's still worth nothing, but currency is worth nothing. It's like monopoly money. And it was like a zombie town. I think 30% of the total population of the country left. It's, it's a trip. Two years ago, I think I was reading a story about how the average person in Venezuela had lost like 20 pounds because of just the crazy shortage of food. Starvation, man. I have a, so I used to compete in Olympic weightlifting and I did a few training camps over there. Uh, and I met this one guy and he called me, was it 2000? It had to have been like end of 2017. He called me, he says, listen, I used to compete at 77 kilos. I'm weighing 56 kilos and it's almost 20 kilos lost. He's like, it's not because I want to, it's because my parents are really old and I'm in pretty much every, every money, all the money that I have, I have to spend on food for them because they can't work and I don't know what else to do. Like I need to get out of here. If there's anything that you can do, I'd really appreciate your help. And I barely knew this guy, right? Like maybe I trained with him for a few weeks at most. And I asked him, okay, where would you want to go that you think you would have a better opportunity? And he said Peru, because he knew, he knew a coach there and he knew the team and he wanted to move there. So I sent him uh, enough money for a ticket, for an airplane ticket to go from Caracas to, to Peru and a little bit more. It was like 700 bucks. And a couple months, he said, thank you. He was super appreciative. And then a couple months later, he gives me a call again. He's like, hey, I just got to Peru. And I'm like, what do you mean? You just got to Peru. It's been two months. And he's like, yeah, I decided to split that money between me and two other friends and just hitchhike uh, rides and take trains and buses instead of flying. So he took two people with him. Paid, paid that shit forward. Yeah. Crazy. Do you know Do you know Chris Cooper? I do not. He owns Two Brain Business in Canada. You don't know who that is? No, I don't. I'm ready. Do you know Do you know who Miranda? Um, do you know Street Parking Miranda Alvarez? Yeah. Do Do you know her? Know her? No, I know of her. Yeah. Total, totally, just my brain's just going off into just a totally other direction. I just think that you should know those people. And they should know you. You guys would have great synergy. I love her. Yeah, her and Julian are dope, and uh, and and the, and they're just grinders. And Saint and Chris Cooper, you would absolutely love. Chris Cooper owns the 
the largest, and, and what made me think of him is he owns the largest gym consulting company in the world. And it's out of Canada. And he has to, you know, and Canadians have to keep their head low. They have tall poppy syndrome there. Do you know what, do you know what that, are you familiar okay. with that? Yeah. And um, so, uh, and he's such a gentleman of the highest order and he gives away all of his shit basically for free. That's why this podcast is going. Basically, I had him on my podcast in a CrossFit gym that was failing, listened to the podcast, followed a few of his simple steps, became extremely successful. And then three years later, called me and said, hey, I want to pay it forward to you. Will you start doing your podcast again? I'm like, no, I don't want to. They go, why? I go, I don't want to make I – I don't have a producer and I'm not going to do any of the calls. And I just want to point at Steffi Cohen and be like, can you call her and try to get her on? I'm not, I don't want to bug Steffi because I don't have time for that shit. And he goes, fine, I'll give you one of my employees to do that. Like, oh shit <laughs> and then my wife made me do it she made you do she <laughs> <laughs> well she's like don't be a dumbass this is the universe conspiring to help you it's true do your 500 shows and quit being a bitch man but that's what i that's what i always say like in terms of how people should act towards one another it's like yeah. if you, it really if you do good by by everybody it comes back to you at some point yeah it really does i'll just um when the show's over i want i'll send out I, I have your email on that email thread and I'll send out an email connecting you and Moran and Chris. I mean, just to say hi, you know what I mean? Just like yeah. you guys are such good people and you guys are doing such great work, uh, work in yeah, the I world. I, I'd love to, I, I've always wanted to connect with her. Yeah. And, and uh, Chris is just so good at picking his brain. Cause he's seen so many, he's seen thousands of businesses succeed and fail and succeed and fail. So he, he knows just stupid shit. Like, Hey, don't buy that toilet paper because, Eighty-five of my clients have said that you know it gives their the, their people rashes on their butthole. I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little uh, risque, but but um. So so you asked that guy. Um, is is Hayden a Jew? No. How are, you, are your parents okay with that? He they they weren't. Or my mom, my dad was okay. My mom wasn't at the beginning, but <laughs> then she you know had no other option than to accept. Are you guys married? No. My, my, I think my parents wanted me to marry an Armenian and they wanted, and my wife's parents wanted her to marry a Jew. And then like, you reach a certain age or like, uh, okay, would you just get married? Exactly. Just get married. Just get married. And then, uh, and then, and we really didn't think we were going to get married, but then it, I, it, I think she was probably, we had already had our first kid. So like at 39, she's like, I want a kid. And I was 43. We never thought we'd have kids. Wow. Are you do, are you going to do kids? Right. I didn't, we didn't want kids. It just I, I don't out. want kids. I don't yeah. want kids. I'm freezing my eggs in a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, just in case, but no. Yeah. Um, we didn't want kids either. And then what happened was she got around. We started hanging out with women who were like breastfeeding and we were hanging around some other people like who we thought were like jackasses and they were doing a good job raising their kids. And my wife's like, dude, we could do this. We're like, we're like just like slightly less jackasses than them. <laughs> and that breastfeeding shit looks fun. She's like, let's just have one. I was like, all right. So how many do you have? Now I have three. What oh. happened What happened was is we had the first one, and then we just stopped practicing safe sex. Mm. Safe sex. I thought they just multiplied. <laughs> oh, no, you got it. You have to have uh, – you have to bone, and you have to do it irresponsibly. <laughs> Too much work. Yeah. I, I, I bet you you're going to end up having one. We'll see. It'll it'll be just something like you end up being like oh, I, I like I, I suspect it'll be like my wife oh, I'll take one of those, <laughs> I, but but we never thought we wanted one so yeah that's um, really gonna give my mom hope. Good and you're so young still. Now it's okay to. 
why is your business called hybrid? What does that mean? Hybrid? It, it runs on solar. Your 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 business runs on solar and and uh, conventional electricity. <laughs> no, not really. We we started hybrid when when we were both competing in Olympic weightlifting and in powerlifting, and that started kind of catching the interest of a lot of people. Just the training style was a little bit on the unconventional side. At that point in time, Olympic weightlifting was the style the style of training and programming that people used to do was solely focused on snatching clean and jerk. And it, and it kind of thought about the squat and the deadlift as accessory movements to the snatching clean and jerk. Whereas we were doing the squat and the deadlift as primary, primary exercises to complement the snatch and the clean and jerk. So essentially we flipped the model and started focusing on having a strength backbone to our program and started making a lot of progress. And people were really curious because our physiques changed a lot since we were focusing on strength and, and building some lean mass as well. And then our lifts were going up in parallel because our technique was dialed in. So that's how we came up with the slogan. Hybrid lifting was lift like a, or look like a bodybuilder, lift like a power lifter, move like a weightlifter. Oh, that's where it comes from. That's cool. Um, why did you explore that? Um, honestly, just because there was, there seemed to be an organic interest in that style of training. So when, so Hayden used to own, I don't know if you're, if, if you know the company working against gravity. I've heard of them. They're the, the nutrition people. Yeah. Okay. So that used to be Hayden's company. He sold his shares to his uh, ex-girlfriend. at the, But he was, he had experience in online, uh, building online businesses. So because people were asking us, we actually, at that point, I think I had like 3000 followers. He had like 12,000 followers. And we posted, uh, a photo with a poll asking if people would be interested to email, whatever email it was. And we got about 400 requests from that. So it seemed like it was what people needed, what people wanted, and it was something that we we felt comfortable in delivering. Um, th- guys, the reason I, I that she gave those numbers like t- t- eleven thousand and three thousand for let's say fifteen thousand Instagram subscribers, and then you have uh, four hundred people signed up. Is there something in the business in the business that they call conversion? And like a really strong conversion rate or a, a normal conversion rate would be a quarter of 1%. So if you had, uh, you would need, it's bad. The conversion rate on Instagram is really, really bad. Basically, in all social media is really, really bad. So yeah. basically to have 400 people um, move the needle or jump in and want to participate, it's a massive, uh, yeah. it's, it's a massive conversion rate. Mm-hmm. And then um, how did you two meet? We met at a weightlifting competition. And he, was he a was he a um, competitor also? So okay, the the real story is he was in Miami for a weightlifting competition. At that point in time, I had a side hustle that was I was making singlets in Venezuela from this guy named Wilmer. So I would purchase the singlets for like a dollar and seventeen cents, and then I would sell them here for eighty five bucks. That would be my side hustle in grad school. And he saw that I was selling singlets; they were actually pretty cool. So he messaged me. Uh, asking for one, sliding in the DMs, and then inviting me for coffee. Um, did he really? No. No. He admitted afterwards that he didn't really want a singlet, that he wanted to go on a date. Wow, that's awesome. It was interesting what you were saying that you wanted as a kid. Um, you know, you wanted autonomy in the workplace. You wanted money. You were naming off all these things. And I was thinking, as a guy, it's like, 
you just want girls to like you. Like life is so simple. Like it's like, or boys to like you. You just want someone to want to fuck you. Like that's like, like starts off. You just want someone to babysit you. Then you want someone to bathe you and wipe your butt. And then eventually you want them to, as you get older, you get pat like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. You want to start more and more with them um, until you're a man. Then you want everything. Um, and, and, and when was this? When did you guys meet? We met in 2015. So it's six years. And how long has hybrid been around? Uh, since 2016. Okay. And is he, is he basically a, a co-founder with you? It's, it's basically like, yeah. Yep. And, and do you sit down and, and have like a long-term vision for this or is it more? Um, no, that's, that's, what's really interesting. When we, when we first started, I was the one that didn't really believe that it could become anything big. For right. me, at that point in time, it was just another side hustle. I've had many in my life. It was one of the ones that I was going to do for a little bit and then probably figure out how to get a real job, quote unquote. Uh, Hayden did think that there was a lot of potential in the idea. And of course, I backed him up as I helped as much as I could. Um, but honestly, no, I mean, it got to a point because we were growing so fast and exponentially from month to month that after just maybe three or four months, I could already see that it was going to become something big, but I never thought it was going to become as big as it is now employing, you know, over 60 people uh, being able to, or having funded three other successful businesses on top of that. And just being the size that we are 60 people. Yeah. And, and where you're based out of Miami. Yeah. We're based out of Miami. You know, we went from, from being coaches. So just, writing writing workouts and putting them on a software we went from that to actually building software that we can sell so now we don't consider ourselves coaches anymore we consider ourselves that we are in the uh software as a service business in the SaaS business is it important to, ch- to change your identity or, your, or the way you think about yourself like why is that important yeah it absolutely is because the identity that you ascribe yourself to essentially is going to determine how you're, what you're going to focus on, where you're going to direct your efforts and, and what direction you're going to continue moving forward. You know, if, if we would have stayed in the mentality of, oh, I'm just going to be a coach, then say all my free time, I would have spent reading more about strength and conditioning, reading more about how to get 1% stronger, or I don't know what nutrition, whatever that was. Whereas we spent more time, a uh, learning more about machine learning, learning about software engineering, bringing in the right people and, and obviously creating a structural organization that made sense for the goals that we had. Mm. I, I'm 49. You're, you're 29. Yeah. Yeah. You may have just explained something to me that I've been, I've been digging around <laughs> wondering what's the importance of it. For 40 years. Did you did you ever want to be anything when you were a kid? Um I wanted to be rich and I wanted to be a professional athlete. Yeah. And did it did it matter what kind of athlete? No. No. And and, and are you a professional athlete? Or yeah. Yeah, I mean the definition of a professional athlete is when you get paid to compete. Right. Because then and you've kind of taken it to the then to the upper echelons of that not only then were you a professional athlete but then you redefined what was capable in the sport by, by setting world records mm-hmm. hey um that so you have 
um, I want to accuse you of, um, of uh, sneaky numbers here. You ready? Right. Um, you get, I don't know what they are, but you get a world record like in, in deadlift. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't mean, we'll circle back. I don't mean to like over, no, go over it like it's not a big deal. And then you get a world record in like um, uh, a bench press, right? And then you get a world record in back squat. So you get like these three world records. And then you get a fourth world record because it's the combined the combined score of all three of them. Correct. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm just gonna give you three. I can't give you four for that. <laughs> no, I can. I can. But I was like, I was I was listening to that. I'm like, wow, that's great. I really I really like how you get the fourth world record doing that. Yeah, no, I mean it does matter because you know, there's been times where I don't know, fuck, people can chip that by one pound and it's just the accumulation of it that also matters the total amount of volume you, you move yeah and it, and it's, i guess it's equivalent to like in basketball they have something called like the triple double that's like that's like your, how many points you scored how many blocks and how many assists mm-hmm. and that's just as important as like how many points you scored right how many times did i pass the ball to you that you scored how many times block shots did i block mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that it's like the triple double it's like being good everywhere at the I same know. time not especially. Do you know this um, other Venezuelan dude that's uh, – he's like the shortest, greatest tennis player in the world. He's a dude. No. What's his name? Should I know him? <sighs> Man, oh. someone needs to Google it and write it in the comments. He, he's, he's like the 10th – he's like the 10th best um, male tennis player in the world. Um, but he's only like 5'9 or 5'10. He was just in the U.S. Open. Uh, I think he was in the U.S. Open. He's awesome. But anyway, I told my tennis instructor, I was like, hey, I'm pulling my kid out of tennis, my kid's tennis instructor. And he goes, why? And I said, because the average height of the top 500 male tennis players in the world is six foot one. Mm-hmm. And I go, my kids will be lucky if he breaks five, five. And he goes, oh, how about this guy in Venezuela? He's five, ten. I'm like, dude, that's still five inches taller than my kid will ever be. <laughs> I was joking. My kid still plays uh, tennis. Have you heard of the um, femur lengthening surgery that people are doing now? Oh, tell me. Please tell me. Bro, it's insane. So there's this doctor. I forgot where he, where he's from. I don't even know. I think he's from here. But anyway, so they do this thing where they go in and they separate your femur. And then. What do you mean they separate? They like saw it? Yeah. Okay. They saw your femur. And then they put this apparatus that has like two sticks sticking out. And then three times a day, you're supposed to like push it open like a little bit more. It's like, I don't know by how, mu- how much a millimeter or whatever at a time. And you do that until you, you reach your desired height. And people are gaining like, I don't know, anywhere from like three to three to six, not in like, it can't be inches. Centimeters? Centimeters. No, more, way more than that. Way more than that. So inches. Yeah. Three to six inches. Oh, someone said Schwartzman, Diego Schwartzman. Diego Schwartzman. Yeah, you should reach out to him. That's another one. Look at me. I'm like a matchmaker. Sorry, Hayden. Hayden, he, he, don't worry, Hayden. He's probably, he's, he's, he's gay. He's gay. I don't know. He's gay. I wrote him down. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, do you have an opinion on that? <laughs> on the um, leg? I, 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 my immediate uh, judgment, harsh judgment is I disapprove. But, yeah, no, I think that's, that's way too extreme. And people, I see, I saw the results. People don't walk the same after that. <laughs> they really don't. And think about it. Like you're, you're just increasing the length of the femur. What happens up with proportions? How is that going to affect everything up and down the chain? Now you have a, a 
femur that is five inches longer, your tibia is still the same size. I know. So I had that same surgery on my nose. Right. Thinking that it would make yeah, me smell better. And look how fucked me up. Took off my, my, all my weightlifting got fucked up. My Massive. center of, my center of mass. <laughs> my mid, forward. Yeah, my midline <laughs> got screwed up. <laughs> so, um, you come to the United States, you came by yourself. Yeah. At 17. Yeah. You can't uh, call me sexist. You can't send a set. Can you send a 17 year old girl, pretty apparently. girl to, to the United States by herself? Yeah, apparently. Who looks after you? Um, the school. I was sleeping in the dorms. So at least I had some st- structure. Guidance. And were, and were you a good student? No. School came, School was really difficult for me my entire life, especially going. I was bilingual. I, I, I managed English pr- fairly well, but it was still really difficult for me to learn and retain information in English and then get used to the testing, the the testing methods here with a scantron and multiple choice. Like we didn't have that back home. It was mostly short answer. Uh, that That's interesting. Do you still have trouble retaining information in English? In English? Yeah. Like for example, I can memorize an entire song in Spanish in maybe four or five times that I hear it in a song in English. It'll take me a few days. Wow. That's fascinating. My first language is Armenian. I'm amazing at remembering numbers. And like math and long and just, but I, I English shit. Like I can't remember a movie I watched like a week later. It's like people be like quoting lines from it. I'm like, what's that from? They're like, dude, it was the movie we saw. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I'm learning all sorts of stuff. So no, I wasn't, I wasn't really a good student. I was an average student. And if I really, 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 really applied myself, I wasn't a good student. Um, how old were you when you learned English? Uh, I went to a bilingual school all the way from, kindergarten all the way to high school wow can i shorten so my can i get shorter so my snatch distance to the floor is above is short now people are getting all excited about making your somebody taller in the comments can you see the comments no where no i can't oh it's 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 if you went to the if you go to the Sevon podcast youtube station you could see them pop up if you want steffi would you say that ATG knees over toes or 90%? I don't even know what that means. Do you ass know what that to means? grass, Devon, come on. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Steffi, would you say ass to grass, knees over toes or 90%? Oh, does that mean like when you're in the bottom, you're catching it in the bottom of the hole, should your knees be over your toes? Yeah, obviously there's no other way. If, you, if your ass is all the way down to the floor, there's no other way for you to be in that position if your toes aren't over your, your knees aren't over your toes. There you go. See, duh, Gershwin, duh. She kind of, she almost rolled her eyes at you, dude, but not quite. Um, I, in, in the video that you made with um, Heber and Mars, oh, what's crap? That was not. That wasn't my porn, guys. That was that was, that was that an was- ad from your YouTube that I just. Opened. <laughs> 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 um. Uh, you, you, you said you started with CrossFit, which knocked me like out of my seat. Kind of like, I was just shocked, but, but, but I don't, but I shouldn't be. Why, why were you shocked? Cause I just expect that community, the powerlifting, all that community, the, uh, just the, 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 the big old strong dudes who are just lifting heavy shit just to hate shit on CrossFit and hate CrossFit. 
It's just a yeah. defensive. I'm just stuck in a de- permanent defensive state for that. You know what but I mean? You know what? I think I think they came around. We, I didn't really like that aspect of the powerlifting community when I first got into it. Um, but it changed. It changed. They started realizing that the only reason why there was, were people doing powerlifting was because of CrossFit. You know, CrossFit was kind of the the, the bridge. The people that and, – and you know what? I didn't even know about powerlifting before CrossFit. So right. it's kind of what gives people an introduction to lifting. Right, of course. And there is no reason for it. Um, Greg Glassman said this thing one time to me. He said – if you're going to help your um, cardiovascular capacity, if you want to help your cardiovascular health, sorry, your cardiovascular health, you have to make some risk with orthopedic calamity. Meaning like I get off the couch and there's a chance I'm going to be injured. Right. And then there's people like um, you and uh, Matt Fraser and Tia Toomey and, and, and this, I, I don't know if he's in, does the same thing you do, but the, the half door guy that fought on your card, yeah, they they take this shit to extreme. I guess it's, it's a, there's there's me driving my kids to school, and then there's the Formula One guys, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that Formula One in that Formula One race car, you, do you know who Alexander Volkanovsky is? Sorry, I'm all over the place. Do you know who that is? No. He he's he's two or three fights away from being the greatest living fighter alive today. He's the light he, light um lightweight champion in the UFC. He's okay. 23, 23 and one Australian guy, and he okay. got COVID and he got and he got pretty sick from it. And I was explaining to him, I said, Hey, and, and he was telling me about how many, how much carbs he eats. Right. To, to, Cause he, he works out to, um, what do you say? He works out to fuel his needs. Right. And I said, Hey, um, you know, formula one race car goes 200 miles an hour, but if it hits a pothole, it's fucked. Right. And, and if you eat a shitload of carbs, you're going to have a lot of hormonal reaction. Would you agree with that? Um, no, no. Okay. Uh, well, this is what I told him. So you can unfuck me in a second. I told him if you eat a lot of, if you eat a lot of, if you eat a lot of uh, carbs, especially refined carbs, you can get a lot of insulin in your system and that insulin is insulin in your, in your, in your bloodstream affects your, um, don't worry. You can say anything nasty to me. I'm unoffendable. No, go on. Um, that if you get a lot of insulin in your, in your bloodstream, it, it, anything you, anytime you increase the traffic in your bloodstream, you affect the ability of NK cells and T cells to do their job. And so you may appear to be fucking just healthy as shit. And you may be like pushing the outer limits, but when you push the outer limits, when you, when you do more than just get off the couch and swing the other way, like a, like a Steffi Cohen, Alexander Volkanovsky, a Matt Fraser, that, that there becomes a point where it's, um, dangerous. I'd be willing to use a different word. Your thoughts, ma'am. <laughs> I know that was a lot. Um, I mean, my thoughts on, on the whole insulin chain and it affecting somebody's uh, long-term health or short-term long-term health. health. Immune um, system specifically. Immune system. Okay, so I'm, I'm not very well versed in the literature as far as a carbohydrate or processed carbohydrates leading to a decrease in, in immunity, essentially. But I would have to read up on that. But I don't know. Usually, like, I lean into into the direction of everything being multivariant. If he was experiencing a decrease in health or a decline in health, uh, likely it's a multitude of factors. It's you, I don't feel like it's fair to blame it on only one thing. Yeah, maybe the processed carbohydrates were contributing already to something pre-existing that he had that led to the decrease in, in immune factors for him. But it's unfair to blame it just on one thing, you know. And he would have had to be consuming a crazy amount of them as well. 
the excess of that too. Right. Let me let me word it a different way. And um, how heavy did you start deadlifting before it became dangerous? Like like when you when what was the first amount of weight you ever deadlifted? Did you deadlift like ninety five pounds one time? No, I always deadlifted more than that. I think the first time that I maxed maxed out was like two twenty five. Oh yeah, shit! What did I see? I I saw uh, some number that the first time you ever sumoed, you sumoed three fifteen. Is that yeah, true? That's fucking nuts. That's a that's five pounds um under my max, and and I could be lying. I sometimes I wonder when I tell people that I deadlifted three twenty once. You know, like I wonder if I'm lying. Do you ever wonder <laughs> if you're lying when you're like, yeah, I deadlifted five forty five? Do you ever feel like sometimes true? I accidentally lie by like five pounds? Sometimes what you under you under say it by five pounds? No, I it's plus or minus five pounds. Some sometimes for some reason I don't I know I'm lying, but uh -huh. sometimes I like say five forty just because I don't feel like saying five forty five, and sometimes I say five fifty. I don't know why. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's it's weird. Okay, so 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 the the first time you deadlifted, when did you start deadlifting? And you're like, okay, this is this is like like fuck these these vertebrae better be all lined up in the right fucking way <laughs> so like when did i start realizing that i was be getting fucked yeah well I, I don't know did you get fucked i mean yeah it sounds like you've had yeah. some back issues yeah i did i did um hmm. i think it was like two years in so right after the beginner games stopped and i was starting to have to work really hard for improvements in my max i think that's when it started kind of falling apart a little bit and I started having to adjust my strategy to stay in one piece. You know, my mindset quickly went from how, how fast can I get strong to how long can I stay injury free? And that was, that was really interesting for me to experience because anybody can tell you any athlete, especially any young athlete, you feel invincible. You hear about all these stories of people getting hurt, doing X, Y, Z training because they were overtraining because they were deadlifting too much because they were lifting too much, whatever it was, but you never think it's going to happen to you until it does. And then mm -hmm. you really have to reevaluate things and, and something as simple as programming, you know, organizing your, organizing your training, periodizing your training becomes a really complex algorithm because now there's all these other variables that you didn't account for. Like, your right hip bugging you, like your left knee being all wonky, like your right freaking ankle falling apart. And you have to figure it out again and again and again and again. Every training cycle, something, something different hurts. How heavy were you deadlifting when, when that happened, when the, the beginner yeah. gains started going away? Um, I think I had reached a mid 400s. Mm. I was like around the mid 200s. <laughs> Yeah, uh, some people. Some people don't laugh. Don't. That's not no, cool. That's not cool. We're making fun of it. People have different resiliencies. I'm not saying you're you're an inferior human being, but maybe I am. Do Do you know how strong I felt when I deadlifted 250? Sure, you felt strong as hell. Holy shit! God damn! I remember the first time I deadlifted 135. Yeah, I don't. Oh. Do you remember the first time you benched 135? Yeah, that I do. That's a plate. Do you like to put the plates on yourself? Um, no. Nah. No. No, why would I? I way rather someone does it for me. It's, it's, I, I noticed that about, about you guys. Um, people put the plates on for you. I like to do it because it's just um, – it's part of like – maybe it's just a built-in rest or it's like the meditative process. It's like the the, the tea party, you know, the – 
it, it's just a part of the meditation. No. Yeah, definitely. It's a you thing. Yeah. I think, I don't think it's a me thing. I think that you get so strong after a while. You're just like, yo, bitch, put the weights on. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a respect thing. All the kids that train in my gym wanted to put the, the plates on my bar. Yeah. Um. How about spotters? How important is it to trust your spotters? Yo, I don't trust any spotters. What'd you say? I don't trust spotters. No. Okay. Tell me about that. No, I just, I, because I come from a weightlifting background, I learned how to bail on my lifts safely. So I either set the, the safety pins at a height that I know that I can just dump the bar into without, without breaking it. Or I lift on bumpers and I can just drop it behind me. Especially in a squat, because you know what happens if you have two spotters, one on each side, they're never going to pick up the weight equally. Yeah. So there's been many occasions where someone, you know, I fail a lift and one person pulls it up really high and the other person doesn't. And then your back is all like funny with 500 pounds on your back and that doesn't feel good. But have, I you ever, trust them. have you ever been injured by your spotters or a failed lift or something that went awry? Uh. I've been injured by a failed lift. Yeah, that was the beginning of, of my back pain journey, essentially. I was preparing for the 2017 U.S. Open, which is the biggest competition in powerlifting. It's like a, a, a yearly one that everybody goes to kind of thing. And my back was bugging me. And I just, I don't know. It, it's so funny because I was in physical therapy school at the time. And if anybody else in my position would have come to me for advice, I would have given them a completely different advice than what I was doing. So I just, I just was hoping that it would magically go away, that I would magically come into training and it wouldn't hurt. I just kept increasing the amount of ibuprofen that I was taking all the way to like a gram before training, which is extremely excessive. And yeah, it was just one of those days. Hold I on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. A gram. So thousand milligrams of ibuprofen. Ah, yes. Okay. Thank you for doing the math for me. Thank way you. Too much. Thank you. Way too much. And I just came in and I had a heavy triple in the squat program for that day. And even though I knew I shouldn't even attempt that because my, my back was bugging me so much, I did. And I ended up pinned by the, by the squat at the bottom of the squat and then missed, filled it into the, into the safeties and then was legit just immobilized for half an hour. Couldn't even take my belt off. Was just laying on the ground. And that was the beginning of like a really bad back pain episode. Did you cry? No. Um, do you cry? Yeah. Um, did, did you, did you ever hurt your back so much that you had to, um, like to pee, you had to crawl into the shower? Um, no, but I've hurt my back so bad that I needed help putting my pants on and off and tying my shoes. Yeah. I got you beat. Um, yeah, man, fuck. I was in a hotel room and I just, and, and I, I don't know what happened. I hurt my back, but you know, what's crazy. So then this, this friend of mine, who's a doctor, I was in, in there for two days in this hotel room and I would have to crawl into the bathtub to pee. I was so fucked up. And, and then this doctor said, Hey, I just gave you a prescription for Flexerol and Vicodin at the CVS. And it was a mile and a half away. And I just fucking bit a rag and forced myself to get dressed. Yeah. And I put and, and for me, whenever I'm hurt, I want to start sweating. I want to be as hot as I can. So I put on just shirts and sweatshirts and long johns and pants. And I walked a mile and a half to the CVS. And I swear to God, just placebo or just knowing, even before I put the Flexerol and Vicodin in my mouth, like 90% of the pain was gone. Oh, for sure. That's motion. That's crazy. 
the best thing that you can do when your back hurts is, is keep moving. And it's so counter to what everyone thinks. And it's so counter to kind of an old school approach to back injuries, especially by MDs, by physicians. They'll tell you to lay in, lay in bed and bed rest. And that's the complete opposite of what you want to do. Um, when I, when I first took my L1 in 2006 or seven, I can't remember across it. And Greg would do all the lectures. I remember he said something like, The, the the mama lion gets in a fucking battle and has fucking like her paw torn off, but wins the battle. She doesn't take tomorrow off. She's made to heal on the fucking move. Mm-hmm. We're all made to heal on the move. Um, yeah, the the back the back things. Um, this is kind of a, a hard one to ask you, but I if I sleep for more than six or seven hours when I wake up, my back hurts. If I like go to bed at one and I have a podcast at seven and I get up, my back doesn't hurt. So something's happening around the six or seven hour mark. It's pretty consistent. And when I do my first piss in the morning, like I have to lean against the wall like an old dude. You know what I mean? Like I, you probably, since you're not a dude, you might not know, but there's yeah. like the drunken lean. You put your hand on the wall in front of you and you kind of lean over and your dick just kind of points into the toilet. Right? right. Well, this, I wouldn't talk, I wouldn't talk like this to you like this, but I know you're a doctor and you're okay with this. Um, totally fine. It's appropriate. So, 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 um, but within an hour, it goes away. I have my first cup of coffee. I open the blinds. I walk around my yard and pick up dog poop. You know, I have my, like my routine, you know, with the bags and, and I'm perfectly fine. Do you have that? Do you wake up in the morning? I don't know what the female equivalent is to leaning against the wall to pee. Um, for me, it would be leaning uh, into the, the sink to brush my teeth. Oh, and, but- you struggle, and you struggle with that in the morning? Not anymore, but I used to. Like when I had really bad back pain, I used to. How long? So you're all good. How long? How long was that been going on for you? Uh, Five years. I basically, as soon as I, so I injured myself once really bad when I had kids, and since then I just basically stopped everything. And by stopped everything, like I work, I I do squats with a with a forty pound. medicine ball I, I ride the assault bike i do a shitload of push-ups and pull-ups but i stop like you know once like i don't i don't i i, I can't remember the last time i i power cleaned or sure, i don't ever deadlift over 135 anymore i'm like just terrified of hurting myself again okay you're saying some really interesting things before i go back to that does leaning forward make your symptoms better uh so what you could ca- kind of but i don't have muscle engagement yeah. So yeah. Um, do you know child's pose? Yeah. Feels so good. Okay. Um, and, and basically two days ago after watching all your videos and I had heard this like 10 years ago when my back first started bothering me, some yoga guys like, Hey, you got to start doing back extensions, basically Superman's on the ground. And I heard you say in an interview, I don't know if it was, it was with that four hour work week guy, I think. Yeah. Tim I think Ferris. it was. Yeah. Who? Tim Ferriss. Yes. Yeah. And you said something about there being a correlation between people who can hold a back extension and, yeah, back and, and having good backs. I was like, fuck. Thank you, Steffi. Yeah, I mean, people have been telling this to me for 10 years, but when I heard you say it, it stuck. Yeah, so yesterday I started matter. doing those. It's not a matter of, uh, of back strength. It's it's back and low back endurance is more important than low back strength because the muscles of your back are postural muscles that are supposed to be on all the time. So that's how you should be training them. Um. But yeah, I mean, you said some interesting things. I mean, there, there's two different, two kind of approaches when it comes to uh, evaluating and treating low back pain. There's a structural or mechanical approach, and then there's a biopsychosocial approach. 
usually therapists lean in one direction more than the other. The, the beauty of being me is that I don't treat people. So it's not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any vested interest in, in either camp or either form of treatment. I'm completely unbiased and I'm just basing my opinion on, on facts, you know, on, on what I've re read on the most le recent literature. So essentially the mechanical, the structural approach talks about there being some sort of um, physical damage to a structure. That type of injury accounts for a very small percentage of the total amount of, of back, uh, low back pain cases. Um, so it's not necessarily the case unless it's kind of like an acute injury, something that ha a traumatic, acute thing, something that happened when you were lifting or you fell, or you got in a, in a car accident or something like that. Most cases are what's considered persistent pain or chronic pain. And in those cases, you lean more into the biopsychosocial model, which basically looks at the relationship of that you have of pain with your emotions and how you're interpreting that pain, how your brain is consciously and subconsciously interpreting that pain. So for you, for example, you said, you know, I'm staying away from weights because I'm scared of, of hurting my back again. That is like a hundred percent something that I would, that I would, I would lean the conversation into, into the biopsychosocial side to try to figure out why that is, you know, what about weights? What about those movements is triggering kind of like that, that perceptual response and why is that perpetuating your pain cycle essentially um a trippy thing about it is is like so i wake up in the morning and i if i bend over just a tiny bit at the waist it feels like i'm just gonna fall over right on my face i have no muscle engagement i can't stop it nothing an hour later that's gone i can bend over and touch my toes yeah so so weird yeah. So maybe you're saying that something could have had like you're saying that like Uncle Buck could have got to me at seven years old. And that's why I'm attached to my back hurting. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe or it maybe it had nothing to do with with your back. Maybe it had something to do with with something else related to pain. So, for example, the the the, the way I like to explain this is as a smoke pain as a smoke alarm. So this was a concept that I learned from Dr. Greg Lehman. Basically, what he says is that when you compare, comparing pain to a smoke alarm means that when there's smoke in your kitchen, for example, and, and something's burning, your alarm goes off, but maybe it's you're just making bacon, right? But the alarm is there to tell you there's a fire. But in this case, the alarm is just being overly sensitive and it's telling you that there's a fire when in reality, it's just smoke. Or maybe it goes off for no reason. Maybe there's not even smoke. Maybe you're just boiling vegetables, you know, and that the evaporation of the air for some reason triggered the alarm on. So that same thing happens to our brains. Sometimes there's no perceived threat or danger, yet our brain is interpreting a situation as threatening or dangerous, when in reality there's nothing there for you to be afraid of. Dr. Lorimer Mosley also talks about that on one of his TED Talks and one of his lectures, or one of his lectures, I can't remember, but he's a, a neuroscientist. And he's telling a story about one time that he went out hiking and a snake bit him, a poisonous snake bit him. And he'd been on that road, on that mountain many times before, and he just thought that it was a, a branch that brushed his leg. And a few minutes later, he was passed out on the ground and his wife found him, took him to the ER, and it, it, it appeared that he had been bitten by a venomous snake. A couple of years later, he went to the same trail and he effectively got just brushed by a, by a branch. And his reaction was like, 
He started screaming. He was panicking. He was like holding his leg. He thought that he had been bitten by a snake and it felt as if he got bitten by a snake. And it's just that, that built in kind of preservation, self-defense mechanism of your brain that tricked him into thinking that he was experiencing pain when in reality it was just a branch that brushed his leg. So there's a really interesting kind of memory thing with pain. There's, there's, we know that there's neuroplasticity changes that happen in your brain after you experience pain. Like you start actually forming these connections in your brain that, that prepare you in case that you encounter a situation like that in the future. And in some cases it turns up the sensitivity of your brain to uh, external stimuli. So that's I'm so susceptible to something shit like that. <laughs> Most of us are. It's, it's, it's a yellow, it's a yellow hardback book. The author is Steffi Cohen. The name of it is back in motion, back in motion. Why, why isn't that there an audio book of that? I looked and I couldn't get it. I know. Yeah. We haven't, we just haven't done that. I've, I've been writing another book. Hayden? I'm not bad. Hayden. Hayden can do it. You Hayden? Narrated. Dude, we started the podcast, but he doesn't have to narrate it. He's the, um, what is he? Hayden's the, um, he's the business guy. He's the startup guy. Yeah. Hayden, get that audio book done. <laughs> I'm going to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about, um, uh, a meeting Noah in, 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 in your, in your, in your journey into, into CrossFit. Like what school were you at? What was he always smiley and nice? Um, all yeah, that shit. He was. Did, uh, did you guys date? Did you guys date? No, no. Oh, okay. I didn't close. Um, I wasn't interested. <laughs> he, of course he was. I'm yes. kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. Um, yeah. So we met at the University of Miami. We we're both in the same program. It was the exercise physiology undergraduate program, and he was in one of my ex phys classes, I think. And I knew that he went from actually playing water polo with a buddy of mine with 4-2. He was on the water polo club team or whatever it was. And then I remember he went from being, he was ripped but skinny and small. And then all of a sudden he started getting bigger and like super jacked and and CrossFit started popping and he started being, you know, one of the cool guys that everybody wanted to hang out with. And I was in the, I was playing soccer with a, with a female club at the time, but it was like recreational soccer and was really itching to try something competitive. Again, I wasn't ready to let go of that part of my identity. Really. I thought I was, but I wasn't. So I asked him about CrossFit in one of our classes. And he said that he trained at peak 360, that I should just stop by. It was only three miles away from campus. I had a bike. So I biked there and was happily greeted by Noah. He was being his bubbly, welcoming, friendly self. And yeah, that's kind of how I got my introduction to, into weightlifting, into CrossFit and, you know, was, um, was Guido your instructor there? Yeah. What, what's his last name? Trinidad. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, yeah. Cool He's cool too, right? Such a, such a nice dude. Really. Him and his wife, Virginia, both amazing, amazing people. Um, do, do you live close to there now? Yeah, I do. I live right by campus still. And and do you ever see these people? Do you ever see Noah or Guido or? Yeah, I actually I train with Noah from time to time. Stop by Peak, say hi, lift some weights. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's such a small world. Um, there's this another trippy thing was is when I was looking at your Instagram. I don't know why it's trippy to me, but it just seems like such a small world. Is uh the Sarah Bachman lady? Yeah, yeah. Does she the live in Miami? Yeah. She lives in Tampa. 
And so, and are you guys friends? Yeah. Yeah, that's such a trip. Um, last night I had John Brzezink on. Are you familiar with that name? No. So I made a movie about him. It's called Pulling John. It's a documentary. He's the okay. he's the he's the greatest living arm wrestler of all time. Without trying to like offend Matt or Rich or Michael Jordan, he's his dominance in the in the sport of arm wrestling is like there is he has no peer in any other sport that I've ever heard of. I mean, he yeah. is something extremely special. And I asked him yesterday. I said, "Hey, I'm going to have Steph Cohen on, and you know, she has a, a world record deadlift of over 500 pounds, and then the the men's deadlift world record is like a thousand pounds, double that." And I go, is it like that in arm wrestling? I go, are there, are, is it, is it the discrepancy that big? And he, I brought up Sarah's name and he said she was just strong as shit. He said he was saying that she, in, in the sport of arm wrestling, that she would give most dudes a fit. For sure. Well, but at the same time with, with powerlifting, I mean, you, sh- you can compare, you should compare a female and male of the same weight class. Ah, okay. Good point. Yeah. So very good. Point. And that's, and that is what he did in all fairness. See, that's why you're a doctor and I'm just some dude who's trying to get the 500 podcast. What, what is the, uh, is there, what is the world record for a 115 pound dude, 120 pound dude in deadlift? Uh, do we know? I don't know, but I could, we can look it up, but I'm pretty sure. Someone sure. will tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, Martin Adams says, hi, Steffi. Hi. Um, why, why S T E F I? That's a question. No, that's my question. Oh, cause uh, <laughs> you're like, that's a fucking idiot. <laughs> why, why, why are, is that a common spelling for Steffi? Is that, is there some sort of Venezuela? What's your real name? Is that your real name? My real name is Stephanie, but I have, I've, it's a French heritage. My dad is French. Okay. That's why it's spelled with an F. Okay. I've never seen it. Is it, is, so it's common in like, in, 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 uh, France. Yeah. It was spelled with an F. A couple years ago, um, you reached out to Matt Fraser or Matt Fraser reached out to you. Um, Matt Fraser reached out to me when he was still competing because he wanted to perfect his deadlift. Can you tell me uh, some details about that? Like he just slid into your DMs or you guys had a mutual friend or? Uh, look, hold on. I found the, uh, the number for deadlift. The, right. the biggest one I found is, or the heaviest one is 451 at that weight class. Kilos? Pounds. And mine's five forty-five. Holy shit! Yeah, I'm, but but I mean, it's also because like how many guys weigh what I wear weigh, and in the weight class above in the one twenty-three class, it's five thirty uh, five ninety-eight is the heaviest one I found. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so not too far. Are 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 men stronger than women? I think, generally speaking, yeah. Could the strongest person alive be a woman? Pound for pound. Or absolute. Either. Pound for pound, yeah. An absolute, probably not just because they don't make women don't just don't get as big. Yeah. Man. That's cool. That's really, really that's really cool. Did you really sleep for sixteen hours once? Or was it you, were you just joking? No, no, I have, I listen, if I, if I think my superpower actually is not strength is, is my ability to sleep. It's unbelievable. Look, I went on a Indian, Indian motorcycle trip. So it was uh-huh. a three day long trip. We spent, I watched the video. 
yeah, we spent like eight to 10 hours on the bike. Your first vlog. Yeah. Yeah. It's so pathetic. It's so bad. Never doing that again. Anyway. So second day, um, Hayden's bike broke, whatever. We had to leave it in the middle of the road and I had to ride bitch. So I had to ride on the back of somebody's bike, of course. And man, it was so boring to just be on the back. I fell asleep going 110 miles per hour for an hour and a half. Just like this on the back. My hands, my arms were like flailing in the wind. Was there a belt around you and the dude in Hayden? No, I wasn't on Hayden's. I would never ride on the back of Hayden's bike. I don't trust him like that. He doesn't have Whose bike were you on? It was uh, Sean McD. The guy, the the Indian guy. Like he's kind of like a pro pro rider. He's the guy. Yeah. Um, Were you strapped to him? No, I was just leaning forward. Did he know you were asleep? He said he he noticed like after ten minutes because I was like flinching, like sleep flinching. Like oh yeah, yeah, twitching. Yeah, that. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, uh, if you if you sleep for sixteen hours, do you, would you get up to go pee? Um, likely, yeah, likely I get up to go pee and brush my teeth again because that's technically two sleeps. Yeah. You know? So probably at the half hour mark, I'm brushing my teeth, peeing, and going back to sleep. Do you prefer to brush your teeth or floss your teeth? In the middle of the of a sleep. No, just in general. Yeah. Like, do you have a favorite? Oh no, I have to do both. I have to do actually water pick floss brush water pick floss. Wow, I don't water pick, but man, I flossing like I like to um, go on Amazon and just order like you know ten things of floss, which are expensive. Dude, and order then- a water pick. It's about to change your life. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. And it makes your gums so healthy because it yeah. actually like massages the gum. Because think about it with the floss, you go in and down. And like, sometimes you're like, poke your, poke your gum. Yeah. With floss, you like massage your, your gum. And some of the stuff like actually comes out. Um, what brand? Any there's, there's the, the one I like is one that's on Amazon prime. It's like 80 bucks is the best one. It's a wireless. Um, isn't it a pain like filling up that water container and like moving all and having it sit Bro, on your? You know what's a pain to lose what? your teeth. Think about it. You only have one set. Look at you like a real doctor and shit. You're like a real coach. Oh man, I've seen horror horror stories of of tooth stuff. Like in my family, my mom getting teeth pulled out. Uh, what's it called when you have that thing? Root canal. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a hard pass for me. Oh, you got real ethnic there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Um, I I like to have like just dental floss everywhere in every car in like in the, in all the glove boxes, one of those. the junk drawer. Yeah, you just like that. Yeah. The, the, what What do you do with them after you use them in the car? I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> the console, don't it? <laughs> I put it on the floor. How did you know that? I put it on the floor, and so like, and then my my wife will get in the car, and there'll just be like little strings all right. over on the floor on the mat. That's disgusting. Just sloppy. Just so sloppy. <laughs> it's a guy thing. I think just guys do it like that. Like picking their nose, picking their nose and just just tossing it anywhere. Yeah. That's I wipe it on my leg. No problem. No, that's not okay. I just wipe it on my leg. Oh, okay. I wipe it on my sock. Hey, um, uh, at least I outgrew eating it. Um w- so, so did you feel comfortable giving? So, so tell me about that again. So, Matt calls you, or Matt slides into your DMs. Yeah. 
And he says, hey, Steffi, I'm Matt Fraser. You see the blue check mark. You're like, okay. Oh, yeah, this is the CrossFit guy. You get back to him. You get personally get back to him? Or is it, yeah. does he have to do what I do and have to, like, talk to, like, some third party? <laughs> no, I got back to him. And, um, and then he says, um, and then he says, Hey, I need help with my deadlift or I'd like to talk to you about deadlifting. Yeah. He said, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'll be in Miami I would, for Wadapalooza. I would love to stop by your gym and get a deadlift session in with you. And then he comes and are you, is any part of you scared that like you might hurt another, like, like what works for you won't work for someone else. And it's like, Jesus, it's like, it's like me bringing my car over to your house and asking you to paint it. And it's like a $600,000 car. You're like, fuck, I don't know. Like I'm a good painter, but Jesus. No, no, not really. I'm confident in what I know and what I do. Yeah. That's dope. That's exactly what I was asking. God, I, 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 I'm trying to think like, I guess that's how I feel about parenting. I'm like, kind of like a, a borderline know-it-all about parenting. I feel so confident in how I'm raising my boys. Uh, I might need to ask you some questions about that then. When how to raise How to raise Hayden? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he needs a lot of help. He's stuck in Canada currently. Did you know that? No, tell me about that, and then we'll get back to Matt. Okay. I love it. I, I, Canada it. and UK and Australia can go fuck themselves, as far as I'm concerned. Listen, we flew back from Dubai, and he got ban- he got a ten day ban because Canadians weren't allowed in the UK, and that was where his his uh, layover was in. And so he had to go back to Canada, spent whatever, spent a week there with his family. His parents said he hadn't seen him in a while. And then he lost his passport. In his passport was his visa. And now he's 10 months stuck in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. How did he lose his passport? And what are you going to do? Are you going to put on a singlet and go over there and get him? Girl, listen, that's why I was asking you about parenting. How, 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 what what are the repercussions of, of someone losing their passport and their visa and then being stuck away from home for 10 months? Is that really true? I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I know the story's true. Is that really true? He's not going to be, you're not going to see him for 10 months. I mean, we can meet in another country. He can't just, there's no way to cross the border. He can't drive or some shit. No. Fuck, it's weird. Why can't he just go to the embassy and get all new shit? Dude, exactly. And especially because it's it's a visa that already exists. It's not like they have to do all the background check and all of that. It's That's already been done. I don't understand why the process is like that either. Oh, shit. I figured it out. Why? He wants you to come there and marry him so you can bring him back. It's all a ploy. It's all a ploy. He wants to put a ring. What, what's the song? He wants to put a ring on it. We're engaged. <laughs> can you do that then? Can you just go over there and Bro, I'm not married. I'm not getting married for those reasons. That's against my morals. Do you have morals? Yeah. Are are you religious? Um I consider myself more like a stoic. What's that mean? Um I live by the principle of doing good by others and just doing what's right, giving back, having virtue, being just that not getting caught in in things of the past, trying to help everybody around me. How did you find that? What stoicism? What was your introduction? Uh, Ryan holiday. 
Ah. Yeah, Ryan Holiday was. I think I read his book, The Obstacle is the Way, first. And that was kind of my introduction. I never, you know, I was raised in Judaism, but I was never really religious. I, I enjoyed certain aspects of Judaism, like just the fact that it there's holidays that bring people, that bring families together. There's a lot of, you know, good quote unquote rules, you know, treat your parents right, uh, treat everybody with respect. Like there's, there's certain things that I really like about the religion, but I don't necessarily ascribe to believing in a God and, and really in believing the entire story of how everything came to be. I, I, I went to that guy's um, Instagram account, Ryan Holiday, and I watched a few videos of his. And yeah. um, I couldn't help but not like him. <laughs> He's a, he has a very punchable face. But what about him? Did you not, <laughs> what about him? <laughs> oh, what about him? not like? I, I, I don't. I think he. I don't think he. I don't think he has embodied what he's teaching. I think he he's a. I think he's a classic. He, he's teaching what he needs to know the most himself. He doesn't consider himself a stoic. I asked okay. him a question on my podcast. Oh, you had him on your podcast. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I and I don't know him that well, but I saw some stuff that he had written, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. I'll check out this guy's thing, and I was like, this guy has. He has. I don't feel like he's created space and stillness in his life. I feel like he has a. He's still, uh, 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 yeah. That, that he's a bit of a wreck, train wreck. For sure, and and I think he's more. He's a he's a writer. He's an author, and he's a, he's a businessman, right? Like he's he is, and there's still there's still value in what he does in the sense that he's pretty much filtering and consolidating hundreds of thousands of years worth of information going stemming back from Marcus Aurelius and, and, and other philosophers and putting it in a way that's easy to understand. Like if anybody listening or, or yourself, even have you ever read like original texts from that point in time? It's, it's, no. it's like really, really difficult to decipher. Like I have a book that I try to write. I can't remember Epictetus and it has, and it has a bunch of just original text. And I just can't read that. So reading it from him and him being able to analogize some of those stories to mm. stories that I can, I can grasp that have happened in the last 50 to hundred years that there's value in that. But yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't claim to even be a stoic. I was curious about his, about that as well. He just really enjoys learning and reading about it. And that's kind of how he got started into writing about it. Um, do you know anything about Taoism? Darwinism? Taoism no. with a T. There's this book. It's called um, <laughs> How the Fuck Can That Slip My Mind? The author's name is Stephen Mitchell, and it's the Tao Te Ching, T A O T E C H I N G. I think that's what it is. Three okay. words da- Tao Te Ching. And Stephen, and Stephen Mitchell did the translation, and the pocket edition is like, I, I think it's everything that. It's amazing. I'm gonna it's, read ama- it. it's the most amazing book ever written. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna read it. Yeah, you'll be stoked. You, you well, you'll carry it with you everywhere. It's little like this. Ooh, okay, I like that. Yeah, you'll like it. You'll love it. Um, so 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 Matt comes to you and you guys and do you guys hit it off? Do you guys get along? Are you guys friends still? Oh well, I mean you guys are in business together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean yeah, we hit it off just fine. He's I was really surprised in how humble and 
friendly he was. So a lot, there's a lot of people that when they achieve a certain level of success, they become arrogant, they lose that humility. But just the fact that he reached out and and realized that there was something that I could teach him was enough for me to to already like him. And when you saw him deadlifting, were you like, okay, Matt, you should do this, you should do this, and there were some pointers right away. You were like, I'd like to see you try this and try that. Yeah, for sure. Of course. There's always and, something to work on. And did he know your history? Did he know that you had you knew about CrossFit and had experienced it? Yes. Crazy. And then so and and now flash forward two years and he his training program HWPO is available through your company. You host, am I, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. You have an app, you have a platform that he utilizes and, and, and his, his and people come to it and they can, and, and when they come to his, they could also go to yours or when they go to yours, they can also go to his. Exactly. For a different price point. It's based, it's, it's a library. you you have an app that's a library for training. Exactly. And there's 19 different training programs on there? Yes. And 19 different people? Um, so the app, I don't believe it hosts all 19 programs yet. It hosts four of them, the powerlifting, uh, performance, the build, and the HWPO. So those are the four programs that are on the app right now. Crazy. Are you? Were you just like... Were you just like beside yourself when 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 this thing launched with you and Matt? Were you like, "Holy shit, this is like peanut butter and jelly"? Yeah, pretty much. I knew it was gonna be it was gonna be a really good partnership from the beginning. I mean, it's crazy. It's kind it kind of is like what needed to happen for yeah. for all the communities. For sure, for sure, and it, we've been doing this for so long, really that. It, Obviously, anybody can do it on their own. Matt could have done it on his own easily and been successful as well. But we've worked the kinks, you know, for for the last almost six years. We've been in the space and, yeah, we help each other out. It's a pretty symbiotic relationship. It it speaks volumes of your program. I mean, I I don't mean this um, like like Matt's above you in any way. I mean it in the fact that just that – I know Matt I, and I know the CrossFit community more than I know you. Like I heart, like, like I, I, um, I mean, I definitely had seen you around, but it was so, it was so limited. It was just by happen chance over the last, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. But, um, but obviously I, I've been steeped in, in Matt shit, right. Cause it's, it's CrossFit. Right. And that's where I was. That's where I worked. And, um, I figured there might, he, he, he doesn't fuck around. No, he's all business. Yeah, and if he if he I I was just shocked that he would go with someone else. Me too. Shocked. We spent almost two years in negotiations. Awesome. So he awesome, crazy. I'm so stoked for all of you, and it seems like it's crazy successful. And he's crazy, and he's embraced it to like no end. Yeah, yeah, he's he's absolutely crushing, and yeah, the partnership's great. What's what's next on that? Are you gonna do? Are you gonna be? Is there gonna be someone teaching jujitsu on your platform next, or boxing, or boxing? Are, are you like? Do you think that I, I I've snuck into your emails yeah. when I say that? I I feel like you did. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's part of the natural progression of the app that we kind of had envisioned of it becoming a marketplace 
for other coaches to be able to use our service. Uh, that's our all-inclusive service. So it's not only using the app, but it's also using the, the support team. So our marketing team, obviously our software engineers, our media team, um, it, but it'd be a platform that's reserved, reserved for a certain standard of trainer or of coach. Do you, do you know these, um, do you know these, uh, jujitsu, are you familiar with the jujitsu community at all? No, not really. There's this group of, um, guys, you, you might want to just take a peek at it. It's called Daisy Fresh. Daisy. Yeah. And they're out of Mount Vernon, Illinois. And it's basically this guy. Yeah, Steffi, I think you would love this. This kind of resonates with your story of sending that guy money in Peru or in Argentina and uh, Venezuela to get to Peru. Um, this guy basically just rented out an abandoned dry cleaning place. And he started letting young boys stay there and sleep there overnight. And this guy was a black belt in jiu-jitsu and he started just training them in there. Wow. And they had no they had basically had, you know, barely running water, no heat, no cold. And now eight years later, like the best jujitsu guys in the world are coming out of this fucking abandoned dry cleaning place. It's nuts. The story is nuts. It's called Daisy Fresh. There's a YouTube series. It's called Daisy Fresh season one. It's so cool. It's a, it would be a fun thing to watch like 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 at 10 o'clock at night with your arm around Hayden, like when he comes back in 10 months. <laughs> you, man, 10 months. I feel like this is going to be really inappropriate that I say this, but I feel like 10 months is too long to be away from your mate and like other suitors could slip in. <laughs> um, I mean, you know what? I'm not concerned about that at all. No, not, not, I mean, he, you shouldn't be concerned. I'm talking, he should fucking be concerned. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm so focused on what I'm doing right now, boxing, that it's honestly, I hate this. I hate to say it. I feel bad saying it, but it's almost like a blessing in disguise because I, I haven't been able to give him that much attention anyway because of how busy I am. I train. So today I woke up at, at 5 a.m. I had training at 6.30. Um, I had to go to the office, film a bunch of stuff, come back here, do the podcast, and I'll have another training session at 5.30. Boxing. Boxing, yeah. Do you have another fight lined up? Yeah, December 26th. Do you know who it's with? No. Then how do you know that you have one lined up? Uh, because I know that I'm going to fight on that card. Usually, where you find your opponent like four or five weeks out. And where is the card? In Switzerland. I don't know what city. In Switzerland? Mm-hmm. Can't you just fight in Miami or Vegas or some shit? Yeah, you could. But um, it's it's another, it's another a business opportunity. I'm, I'm teaching seminars with my coach. So we're teaching four seminars. He's teaching the kind of tactic, boxing specific, and I'm teaching nutrition and strength and conditioning as it pertains to boxing. And the, and, the, and the seminars are after the boxing match so that there's not a distraction? No, they're before. We're teaching every weekend leading into the fight. Oh shit. Yeah, I've, I've multitask in like I've done sports at the highest level and school at the highest level and uh, running a business for the last ever. So, I'm used to it. Holy shit. Hey, um do you think that um did you follow any do you follow the CrossFit scene very much? Uh not very much, but I do follow it. Do you know about Ricky Garrard? He got suspended for drug use and he's coming back after 4 years. Yeah. Do you have any, do you care that he used drugs? Like Matt's like Matt Matt was it get, gets like pretty hostile towards him. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean 
I think that if you're competing in a drug tested event, then you shouldn't be doing the things that are illegal for you to do. At the same time, sports are so corrupt that I feel like more people are doing it than we are aware of. So it just sucks to be that one guy that's taking all the heat. Like I, I feel bad for him in that sense because I know he's not the only one and people are treating him as if he's, it's the only, you know, the only person, no one else dares. Everybody else has so such high morals and such high ethics and they would never do it when the reality of sports is that it's not like that. It's a lot more common than people think. So I don't know. I'm, I, I have mixed feelings about what happened to that guy specifically. He, he's the, the way I kind of heard the story that he told Chase and, and I believe it because this could have easily have happened to me. He's 22 years old. Some friends like, hey, you should take this shit. It'll make you really, really fucking strong. He takes it, and then he goes to the regional event, and they test him, and he doesn't pop. So he's like, fuck it. Good to go. Load up. And he just started taking shit loads, and then he popped. And I remember giving a friend of mine saying in high school, hey, I'm going to Mexico, and um, I'm going to get steroids there, and I'm going to bring them back. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I gave him 100 bucks, And he came back, and, and, and I lost 100 bucks. He never gave me the steroids. And then and then even, even when I was watching the interview with Chase, and I've said this a bunch of times on my podcast. I'm sorry to beat a dead drum, but he's t- he said the stuff he took. It's called Rad 140. So while I'm watching the interview with Chase Ingram from CrossFit, I'm looking up the shit, and I find it, and I can just buy it online. And I put it in my shopping cart, and I'm about to buy it. But then I noticed as I hit the, the purchase button, this warning comes up that says it will enlarge my prostate. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck that. I'm 49. Like, all my shit's running good. Like, like, but, 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 but I'm 49. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I drink four cups of coffee in a day, and it could break my shit. So, um, I don't know. I, the only person I think that should be upset is Pat Vellner. He he, that's the guy that got pushed off the podium. Yeah, that kind of sucks because he didn't get annoying. the he didn't get the picture and all that shit. I know. Yeah, that is pretty annoying. All right, but you don't know him. You don't know Ricky. No, I don't. But you know it pisses Matt. You know it pisses Matt off. Like when I talk to Matt about it, he gets he comes unhinged. I've heard Matt talk about it. Yeah, yeah, he gets he gets um. On, on your motorcycle trip, how many times did you drop your motorcycle? Sorry, loaded question. I know stuff. I counted that. I think it was like 15. <laughs> Dude, it was bad. It was bad. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> but you know what? I blame them. They didn't ask me what my inseam was, and they didn't ask me what my weight was. And they gave me this monster of a motorcycle because I can lift a lot of weight. But it's not about the weight that you can lift. It's your proportions, right? If Imagine I only have this much amount of weight on top of a thousand pound bike. Like it's not, it doesn't matter how strong you are. It's going to tilt in one way or the other. I can't reach the floor in my defense. <laughs> Had you ever dropped a bike before that? No. Um, my, but I you, drive my bike almost every day and I've never had that happen to me. Um, and, and the first time you dropped it, where were you? And were you just like completely like, holy Bro. shit. I turned the bike on. Everybody turns their bikes on. We're driving. We're we're moving the bikes from far away in the parking lot to right in front of the hotel door so we can load the bikes up. And everyone's like turning their bikes, leaving, turning their bikes, leaving. And I'm left with, with Matt. It's just me and Matt. And I turned my bike on. And as soon as I let go a little bit of the clutch, boom, tilt to the left. I'm like, fuck. Matt had to get off his bike, help me tilt the bike back up head over to the to the in front of the door and I dropped it again 
And that's when I realized, all right, this is going to be definitely is going to be a problem. <laughs> you, so the, fir- the first time I dropped the bike, actually, I don't even know if I dropped it this time, but when a bike starts to fall over, you go to war with it, right? Bruh. And it feels like your whole body, it feels like someone, did you try to go to war with it and like oh. feel your back, feel your back go out or anything? I won a few of those battles. <clears throat> I did win a few of those battles, but most of them I lost. Yeah, it was bad. So th- this 700 or 800 pound bike would start to go over and you'd fucking buckle down and start trying to go to war with it. Try as hard as I could. I'm panicking because we're running out of time and I have two pages of notes. Um, The the fish, the fucking 800 pound fish. They go that ass grouper? This is fucking ridiculous, this video. <laughs> Who... Tell me whose idea is it like, like the leverage you have on that but for people who don't know, there's a video of her and her and her two friends. They go on this fishing boat and they catch these fish that they don't even look real. The fish are, what were those fish? Goliath groupers. Yeah. They look like <laughs> prehistoric dinosaurs from the deep sea. Yeah, it's they're, like catching a manatee. It's fucking ridiculous. They're insane. Anyway, so she's got this fishing pole and her leverage on it is so bad. Like, how does anyone like they have you like this, dude? The guy Josh, the guy that took us fishing, yeah, he can pull one of those on his own. How? Because okay, so imagine this is the fishing pole. Yeah. What you do is that you have to anchor the fishing pole in between your legs, and then see this is you standing right. Yeah. And as the fish starts pulling the the pole down, and like it starts bending like this. You also have to squat and eventually you end up in like a sissy squat position with your knees fully bent and like legit uh, parallel to the ground. That's how that's the end position is like your knees are fully bent. You're like parallel to the ground and the and the fish net or rod is completely like this. And that's when it catapults you out of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's that image of you holding the pen up like that and saying, this is you. I'm going to, I'm going to make that a little clip and and repeat. And that's going to be my promotion for the podcast. podcast. (laughs) Um, Was that fun? Did you like that trip? No, I hated it. Yeah. I don't like fishing. I don't like fishing as it is. I'm not okay with taking animals out of the water or using fish for bait. And I didn't realize how against it I was until I was on that boat. And then I could just, I was so uncomfortable the whole time. Have you been hunting? No, and I don't think you can do it either. Yeah, I I need to do it because I don't think I can do it either. Uh, You mean like you're going to shoot the animal and you're going to start crying? Yeah, I have nothing against people who do it, but like I just personally can't live with with it. Dude, there was, um, what are those big, not fire ants, like the bigger ones. I don't know. The red army, big army ants or something. I don't know. The red big massive whatever we call them bachaco in Spanish. There was one of those inside my house, and I was about to step on it, and then I was like, "No, I can't do it." Like, why did that? Why would I kill it? It's just yeah. in my house. It's not doing anything to me or anyone else. So I grabbed a I grabbed a piece of paper and I put them back outside. Said, yeah, I can't. Um, before I had kids, I had this rule that everything that was in my house had to be caught and released. Yeah. But now. If um, black widows, my my wife is like, hey, you can't do that. You got to kill them. So I kill them. You have black widows in your yeah. house. Okay, but those are like they can kill you. 
I guess. I mean, that's the word on the word on the street. I mean, I've never been bit. I don't know what's true or not true anymore. I don't know. Oh, I feel Leon said velvet ant. Is it a velvet ant? I don't know. I don't know. The only thing that I've that I've killed is a buffalo toad because it almost killed my dog. A what? Buffalo toad. We have these 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 massive frogs in here in Florida that they expel on their from their skin. Uh, this like um, people actually lick them. Because it has like a, it's a similar thing than uh, psilocybin. It's like a, a hallucinogenic thing or then LSD. It's like LSD. It's like LSD. And if your dog eats it, bites it, or gets sprayed by it, they can die. So how big is it? It's like this big. How did you kill it? With the, like a broom handle? Yeah. Damn. Damn. I, I was in, uh, I spent a lot of time in Africa in like these really fucking like isolated, isolated places, like where there's nothing except just like teepees and huts and some crazy shit I saw. But um, every every day at a certain time of day in this one village I was in, this group of ants, you would hear them coming. And they go out in this pack of like 5,000 and you can hear them coming. And then you look out over the desert and you see this black circle that's probably like 20 feet by 20 feet. And it's just moving along the desert floor. And then you can go over and kind of like look at them and they're like, and they're just combing. They, they do like a, a, just a walk around the, I know. Right. And they do a walk around the territory, just looking for shit on the ground. So they would just find stuff, but it would be crazy. Cause like they'd find a sleeping dog and then the dog, you know, you'd watch them like go over the dog and then start trying to get the dog and the dog would get up and run. But oh it was crazy. My God. It was crazy. It was just like an army going out, just looking for shit to fuck up. But every day at the same time of day, I would see them come out. Yeah, no, fuck that. Yeah, and people there, like, uh, I, I would, I would see like a, uh, like a teepee, and um, I, and no one would be in it, and I'd be like, hey, what happened? How come no one's in that teepee? And they're like, oh, cobras moved in, or or term or termites moved in. You know, just nutty shit. Africa's wow. a trip. Wow. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Lovely conversation. It was? Yeah. Good. I get nervous before all of these. Really? Yeah. What What are you nervous about? Um, I don't know. I was going to make up some shit, but I couldn't feel a real answer coming. Maybe long silence is like the one I just had. <laughs> <laughs> well you're pretty good at it so you should feel more confident yeah i but you know what um, aren't you nervous right before you go lift or uh, no? yeah yeah but that's necessary i've actually tried not to be nervous and it ends up being really bad for you i think in sports you're using <laughs> those nerves okay then one more question for you is is that fighter do you have fight or flight before you before you lift in front of a group and then you have to make sure that you don't choose the flight mode um, I mean, yeah, if by fight or flight, you mean just like the, the feeling of kind of like that anxiety, like elevated heart rates, palm sweating kind of, kind of thing, then yeah, of course I do feel it. Um, no, but- I mean, literally you want to run out to the parking lot, like, like minutes before <laughs> this podcast starts, like I don't like, so today we had to change the time of the podcast and I wanted to write to you so fucking bad and be like, we can do it on another day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, like, yeah. I, like I just want to run away. I'm always wanting to run away. I feel like everything okay. I do in my life, I have to face like. That's interesting. Yeah. 
but the obstacle is the way. So, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so have you ever had that where like it's your turn to go up there and deadlift and you're like, oh man, I'm just going to just run out to the parking lot, jump in my car and drive away. With lifting, it never happened, but with fighting, it does. Like anytime I have a sparring session, pretty much, I feel like that. It's so and even, weird. And even during, I, I had this conversation with one of my friends who's a world champion boxer. And yeah, she has the same the same feeling. Like sometimes even during sparring rounds or during a fight, you you go back to your corner and you don't even feel like you can go back in. Like you're in such a high state of arousal that you that you feel like you just want to get out of the ring and quit forever. You question yourself even like why you're even there. But yeah, in fighting more than in, more than in powerlifting. Is it, is it, um, what did you think of the Tyson Fury, um, Deontay Wilder fight? Sick fight. Sick fight. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I, I thought personally, I, I had never seen a Fury fight because I just started boxing really. I wasn't a boxing fan before. And I thought it was going to be a little bit more technical. But just, man, you know what it is to be knocked down multiple times and just get back up and try to, try to survive or change your strategy. I don't even know if you're even thinking at that point, you're just trying to like not get put on your, on your ass again and just trying to throw as many punches as you can without getting punched many times. It's just crazy. They both showed so much heart and it's really impressive, especially after experiencing that in a, that feeling in a ring. I have so much respect for, for athletes like that. Crazy. Um, did you like Deontay going into the fight? Um, I didn't know much about him. I watched a couple of his uh, older fights. I, I do. I think he's a, he's a great fighter. But, man, Fury is just so impressive. So impressive in how he turned his life around and his whole story is crazy. Yeah, I, I, I was not a fan. And then by the third round, I was like, holy shit, I'm a fan. Yeah. Someone just wrote, um, Hector just wrote, Steffi just Ryan holidayed. Sevon, the obstacle is the way. Is that yeah. one of his lines? <laughs> Teach me. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, they said, um, I guess someone from your camp invited me to be on your podcast, and my producer's like, "How should I answer?" I'm like, you can't, you can't answer now. What if like she hates me or I hate her? <laughs> then it'd be an even more interesting conversation. Good point. 